Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. Part 12, Hostages in India. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History. We're looking at the journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama at the moment and we're well into it having reached episode 12. After this episode there will be three episodes left in this series so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when those remaining episodes are released. And if you can't wait until then, don't forget we've got lots to explore here on Long History, with first-hand accounts of the first voyage around the world, early exploration of the United States area, as well as the early colonisation of the Philippines. Now, as the previous episode ended, Magellan had reached the final destination of his journey and had a meeting with the king of the area. However, as the last episode ended, tensions began to grow as difficulties emerged in the negotiations between the local king and the Portuguese. In this episode, those tensions continue to increase, and we are given some of the reasons for the mistrust between the Portuguese and the local people. So here we go, with the journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 12, Hostages in India. The merchandise removed to Calicut. June the 24th. On Sunday the 24th of June, being the day of St John the Baptist, the merchandise left for Calicut. The captain then ordered that all our people should visit that town by turns and in the following manner. Each ship was to send a man ashore, on whose return another should be sent. In this way all would have their turn and would be able to make such purchases as they desired. These men were made welcome by the Christians along the road, who showed much pleasure when one of them entered a house to eat or to sleep, and they gave them freely of all they had. At the same time, many men came on board our ships to sell us fish in exchange for bread, and they were made welcome by us. Many of them were accompanied by their sons and little children, and the captain ordered that they should be fed. All this was done for the sake of establishing relations of peace and amity, and to induce them to speak well of us and not evil. So great was the number of these visitors that sometimes it was night before we could get rid of them, and this was due to the dense population of the country and the scarcity of food. It even happened that when some of our men were engaged in mending a sail and took biscuits with them to eat, that old and young fell upon them, took the biscuits out of their hands and left them nothing to eat. In this manner, all on board ship went on land by twos and threes, taking with them bracelets, clothes, new shirts and other articles, which they desired to sell. We did not, however, affect these sales at the prices hoped for when we arrived at Moncobicu, Mozambique. For a very fine shirt which in Portugal fetches 300 reais was worth here only 2 fanois, which is equivalent only to 30 reais. For 30 reais in this country is a big sum. And just as we sold shirts cheaply, so we sold other things in order to take some things away for this country, if only for samples. Those who visited the city bought their clothes, cinnamon and precious stones and having bought what they desired, they came back to the ships without anyone speaking to them. When the captain found the people of the country so well disposed, he left a factor with the merchandise, together with a clerk and some other men. 
Diogo Diaz carries a message to the king, August the 13th. When the time arrived for our departure, the Captain Major sent a present to the king, consisting of amber, corals and many other things. At the same time, he ordered the king to be informed that he desired to leave for Portugal, and that if the king would send some people with him to the king of Portugal, he would leave behind him a factor, a clerk and some other men in charge of the merchandise. In return for the present, he begged on behalf of his lord, the king of Portugal, for a bahar of cinnamon, a bahar of cloves, as also samples of such other spices as he thought proper, saying that the factor would pay for them if he desired it. Four days were allowed to pass after the dispatch of this message before speech could be had with the king. And, when the bearer of it entered the place where the king was, he, the king, looked at him with a bad face and asked what he wanted. The bearer then delivered his message as explained above and then referred to the present which had been sent. The king said that what he brought ought to have been sent to his factor and that he did not want to look at it. He then desired the captain to be informed that as he wished to depart, he should pay him 600 seraphins, and that then he might go. This was the custom of the country and of those who came to it. Diogo Diaz, who was the bearer of the message, said he would return with this reply to the captain. But when he left, certain men followed him, and when he arrived at the house in Calicut, where the merchandise was deposited, they put a number of men inside with him to watch that none of it was sent away. At the same time, proclamation was made throughout the town, prohibiting all boats from approaching our ships. When they saw that they were prisoners, they sent a young black man who was with them along the coast to seek for someone to take him to the ships, and to give information that they had been made prisoners by order of the king. The black man went to the outskirts of the town, where there lived some fishermen, one of whom took him on board on payment of three Vanoish. This the fishermen ventured to do because it was dark, and they could not be seen from the city. And when he had put his passenger on board, he at once departed. This happened on Monday the 13th of August 1498. This news made us sad, not only because we saw some of our men in the hands of our enemies, but also because it interfered with our departure. We also felt grieved that a Christian king, to whom we had given of ours, should do us such an ill turn. At the same time, we did not hold him as culpable as he seemed to be, for we were well aware that the moors of the place, who were merchants from Mecca and elsewhere, and who knew us, could ill digest us. They had told the king that we were thieves, and that if once we navigated to his country, no more ships from Mecca nor from Cambay, nor from Imgros, nor any other port would visit him. They added that he would derive no profit from this. Trade with Portugal. As we had nothing to give, but would rather take away, and that thus his country would be ruined. They, moreover, offered rich bribes to the king to capture and kill us, so that we should not return to Portugal. 
All this the captain learned from a moor of the country, who revealed all that was intended to be done, warning the captains, and more especially the captain major, against going on shore. In addition to what we learned through the moor, we were told by two Christians that if the captains went ashore, their heads would be cut off, as this was the way the king dealt with those who came to his country without giving him gold. Such, then, was the state of affairs. On the next day, no boats came out to the ships. On the day after that, there came an Almadia with four young men, who brought precious stones for sale. But it appeared to us that they came rather by order of the Moors, in order to see what we should do to them, than for the purpose of selling stones. The captain, however, made them welcome, and wrote a letter to his people on shore which they took away with them. When the people saw that no harm befell them, there came daily many merchants, and others who were not merchants from curiosity, and all were made welcome by us, and given to eat. On the following Sunday, about twenty-five men came. Among them were six persons of quality, and the captain perceived that through these we might recover the men who were detained as prisoners on land. He therefore laid hands upon them, and upon a dozen of the others, being eighteen in all. The rest he ordered to be landed in one of his boats, and gave them a letter to be delivered to the king's Moorish factor, in which he declared that if he would restore the men who were being kept prisoners, he would liberate those whom he had taken. When it became known that we had taken these men, a crowd proceeded to the house where our merchandise was kept, and conducted our men to the house of the factor, without doing them any harm. On Thursday, the 23rd of the same month, we made sail, saying that we were going to Portugal, but hoped to be back soon, and that then they would know whether we were thieves. We anchored about four leagues to the leeward of Calicut, and we did this because of the headwind. On the next day, we returned towards the land, but not being able to weather certain shoals in front of Calicut, we again stood off and anchored within sight of the city. On Saturday, we again stood off and anchored so far out at sea that we could scarcely see the land. On Sunday, whilst at anchor, waiting for a breeze, a boat which had been on the lookout for us approached and informed us that Diogo Diaz was in the king's house, and that if we liberated those whom we detained, he should be brought on board. The captain, however, was of the opinion that he had been killed, and that they said this in order to detain us until they had completed their armaments, or until ships of Mecca, able to capture us, had arrived. He therefore bade them retire, threatening otherwise to fire his bombards upon them, and not to return without bringing him and his men, or at least a letter from them. He added that unless this were done quickly, he intended to take off the heads of his captives. A breeze then sprang up, and we sailed along the coast until we anchored. So there are mixed fortunes for the Portuguese in India. They've achieved their aims, reaching the east via the southern tip of Africa, but they're not particularly welcomed when they arrive. In terms of trade, they've already got competition from the Moors. And now, with some of the Portuguese being held prisoner on the mainland, 
The only way to guarantee their safety, it was thought, was to take some hostages of their own. So we can see the complex rivalries between the king, the Moorish merchants and the Portuguese. There is a sense that few of the people in the country were happy to see these Portuguese arrivals. We will find out what happened with Diogo Diaz, the man left on land, in the next episode. So thank you for listening everyone. As you've made it this far, please don't forget to like this episode in whatever way you can before you move on. Don't forget to subscribe and to explore Long History's full range of documents. Thank you for listening everyone and goodbye.